0: Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblin. He is preaching from 1 John 2, verses 12-14. through Good morning Church of the Beloved. Uh, My name is Clint. I'm one of the pastors here as well. Uh, I get to talk today about the passage that was just read for us. We can continue this, uh, and actually this passage fits beautifully and perfectly within an understanding of our Family Sunday. Family Sunday is a great opportunity for our children to be discipled along with us in our congregational meeting that we call a gathering. Uh, I'm very happy that they're here because today we are talking about maturity. We're talking about maturity in the fact and of the fact of season. Now, today, I'm going to try to unpack this very odd little insertion into John's letter. So far, um, if you've been in church for a while, you may know Paul as a writer of many, many, many epistles. And how Paul thinks is A to B to C to D. It's linear. How John thinks is not linear at all. As a matter of fact, John is kind of circular in his argumentation. So you hear a lot of the same things repeat themselves over and over and over again. And in the middle of his epistle, in his middle of this letter that he is writing to a church that he loves to tears, he writes in it this kind of poem, kind of rap, kind of lyrical spoken word. If I was to give this a word, it wouldn't be a poem, it wouldn't be a song, it wouldn't be anything other than maybe what we call spoken word today. Right, in the, right at the beginning part. And he, he's trying to convey something very, very important to us. He's trying to convey something very, very crucial to us. He conveys how maturity within the Christian faith happens. He conveys to us seasons of our lives. He talks to three specific groups of people, young, middle-aged, old, maybe is the easiest way to put it. And along each and every way, he repeats himself he, he says essentially the two things broken up in two different halves. And today I want to let you know how maturity happens and when it happens. I want to talk about these three things. I want to talk about how maturity happens and when it happens. And the, for the children that are amongst us today, I want you guys to understand how you can mature. Uh, and we gave them a little sheet to have. Um, look, I'll give you guys this. Uh, I, I gave you some questions to answer based upon my servant. Answer those bring them to me, love to talk to you about them. And the same invite to the congregation. After the sermon, I'll be up here, uh, and there's going to be a specific call that I give out, but if you want to ask me any questions, I'd love to answer any questions that you have. But here's today's point that I'm going to try to unpack through a spoken word of John. How discipleship happens, maturity happens, and when it happens. And here's just Let me me jump to the conclusion. Let me give it to you ahead of time. Maturity is a long walk in the same direction. Maturity, discipleship, is a long walk in the same direction. I want to start by telling you when maturity happens. Now, maturity, we like to think sometimes in our life, is kind of like a, a, a video game. My kids are getting to the age in which I'm playing video games with them now, and they're like fun for me. It's not Kitty games at this point. I'm not going to tell you the games I play with my kids because I don't want to be judged by you. (laughs) I know (laughs) because my wife judges me enough (laughs) for the games I play with. And she's like, What are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. This was I was playing. She's like, You were not playing this at their age. I'm like, Oh, yeah, you're probably right. But in these games, you gain XP. You accomplish something, you do a given task, you complete it, you come back with XP, and your character grows and we think a lot of our time a lot of time in our lives that that's how we get maturity how we grow we accomplish tasks we move on to the next thing we get xp and we grow and we get bigger more mature i'm actually here to tell you that's not maturity according to scripture that's not maturity according to scripture maturity according to scripture is actually this and it's what john talks about constantly he he tells the young middle and old He says, you knew the name from the beginning. It's strong in you, fathers, old people, young men, you've overcome the evil one, children. You know his name. He talks about these seasons, and he, he basically says the same thing in different vocabulary, in different understanding. But he says this, maturity, Christian growth, is repenting. Now, I want to try to do something with you because I want to give you a new definition of repenting. I've hinted at this many other times in my sermon, but there's a phrase in the American language that I cannot stand. I wish it was abolished, and I'm I'm not even kidding with you. The phrase is "I'm sorry." I can't stand that phrase. I hate that phrase. Do you know why I can't stand that phrase? Why I hate that phrase? It doesn't communicate An understanding of repentance, of turning and doing something. What it says is, I have an emotional response. I want to tell you what I'm thinking and feeling about the thing that I did. And I have remorse. Do you know what never, ever, ever, ever changes people's hearts? Do you know what never, ever, ever makes somebody change behavior and action? Put this on your life. Guilt. It never does. And you say, well, hold on a second. Hold on a second, Pastor. The guilt that we have in sin made us turn and choose Christ. It actually didn't. Do you know what made you, if you are of the Christian faith, if you understand it, do you know what made you come to faith? It was the beauty of Christ's sacrifice. And you said, that's glorious. Because if you say to yourself, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, God, for my sin. I'm a horrible, decrepit person. That's only half the gospel. The other half is, because you're so decrepit, because you're full of sin, therefore Christ died for you, yet a sinner. And his death is more beautiful. See, the thing that we understand about maturity and gaining greater understanding is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm the chief amongst them. And yet, I'm saved. I had a life once, but now I've turned from that life. I was doing one thing, and now I'm doing something else. See, I want to I give you an understanding of repentance. Repentance in the Bible is not, hey, God, I'm sorry. Don't we do that in prayer sometimes? You say, God, I'm really sorry I screwed up today, and I did X, Y, and Z, and so on and so forth. You say, whew, all right, I repented, I confessed. You haven't repented or confessed. All you've told God is something he already knows. God, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I know that. Instead, I want to give you an understanding that repentance is turning and doing something different. That's the definition in the Bible. Repentance is turning and doing something different. That's the definition of the Bible. In uh, mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis he started this whole mere Christianity as a series of broadcasts on BBC uh, during the Great War uh, that later became mere Christianity. And in the book, he talks constantly about this understanding of repentance. And he says, he, he defines repentance, and he tells people, it's not a very popular opinion. It's not a very worthy understanding. See, as John is going through, and he's talking about young, middle age, and old, and he goes through the whole seasonality of it, he says constantly, I need you to remember, I need you to remember, I need you to remember, you're rooted in the word You've fought the good fight. You've overcome the evil one. He he talks very reflectively, very perspective of the past. He doesn't say, here's what you've you've done so great. He says, here's what you've done to turn from your ways. And C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, many people are not in the habit of turning and doing something different. Many people are in the habit of just keep on pressing through. Don't you do that in life? How hard is it for you to reconcile with other people because you have to go to them and you have to admit, I was at fault and I will do anything to make it better. See, that's repenting. Going to somebody that you've hurt and saying, hey, I'm sorry, doesn't doesn't make that person whole that you've hurt. It just communicates to them sorrow that you've had or, or, or some sort of remorse, but it doesn't make them whole. See, when Christ says, turn and repent for the kingdom is at hand, What John is saying, what Christ is saying, what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity is this, people today just keep on blazing through to the next great thing. That's actually a sign of weakness and immaturity. The sign of a mature person is admitting, I have done wrong, I need to turn back, I need to go back to the thing I did incorrectly and do it again. Uh, Many of you traveled for Thanksgiving and many of you are still traveling if you're joining us on the live feed. Uh, How foolish would it be if you were to say to yourself, hey, we're heading to southern Illinois, but we're going to go east first, and we're going to go way, way, way out east. We're going to actually, we're on our way trajectory to New York, and all of a sudden you realize midway through, you're on your way to New York, and you're heading to southern Illinois, and instead of saying, you know what we need to do, we need to stop immediately, turn around, and go back. What if you said, you know what, let's make the best of it. Let's just keep on going to New York. You're like, Why? Well, because we don't know what kind of adventure awaits us. We're going to keep on going to New York, and your whole family's waiting for you, and the food in the back of your car, and your kids are losing their mind. You say, no, 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 we're going to keep on powering through. The mature thing to do is this, as painful as it is to admit, wow, we started the wrong direction. We need to head back to the point that we made a mistake and fix it. John is saying here, he's very, very pastoral, he's very, very intimate, he's, he's doing the spoken word thing, he's saying to all of us, to any of us, if you're a Christian, maturity starts by recognizing where you've gone wrong, repenting, turning, and going the other way. How do I know? Young men, you've overcome. Middle-aged men, and, he, and he's talking about the whole church at this point. Here's how you've overcome the evil one. Fathers, you know the name from the beginning. He keeps on repeating this understanding of seasons. Now, here's something I get to do at COTB that I wouldn't get to do any other place. So I'm sorry ahead of time uh, because, look, I'm part of like top 5% of old people at Church of the Beloved. I don't get to say that many other places. Many places I'm not the oldest, but here I'm like, I think I did the math. I think I'm now the seventh oldest person at COTB. Uh, And I was really sad to find out the other two. Um, And they told me their age. I was like, no, 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 you're like, what, 35? Please let me keep my old man card. This is what John's doing, and this is what I want to do for you, church, if I may. Again, I hesitate to do this. As one of the people who have been in the faith longer than many of you, here's what John is saying, and here's what I'm saying. Do not hesitate to grow in maturity by admitting you are wrong, going back to where you're wrong, and turning and doing the opposite thing. It may seem weak. It may seem silly. No one else that you know is doing it. We make the best of it. We keep powering through. We keep pushing on. That's not strength. That's weakness. That's, that's being intimidated. That's finding the thing to which you did as so bad you can't face it. My encouragement to you is over the years, what I have understood, what I have found out, what I have known. Last time we had fellowship lunch, I sat down with a couple, uh, couple of people, not a couple of themselves, a couple of people. Uh, and one of these people asked me, they're like, hey, pastor, how do you handle conflict in your marriage? And I said, oh, geez, okay. And I just gave them a couple pieces of advice of what I've done. And, and, and it wasn't groundbreaking. It wasn't psychology. It wasn't science. And, and they said, okay, okay, okay. And then they went to their significant other, who I didn't know at the time they were having conflict with, they used what I had said, and they came back and they're like, Pastor, you're a prophet. Like, how did you know all those things were going to happen? I was like, I didn't. I've just been doing it for 15 years. There are some things that are the same over and over and over and over again. And so it's not because I'm smart or talented. It's because for 15 years I've done everything wrong. <laughs> Learn from me. That's what John's saying here. John is saying, I'm an old, old, old man. I love you, church. Could you learn from me? And he goes through all the seasons. And he says, please, here's what to know in every single season. Here's what to do. Talent, giftedness, experience does not bring you maturity. Don't you know 55, 60-year-olds? You just had Thanksgiving dinner with some family members. Don't you know that one uncle, aunt, parent, You're like, oh, geez, this person is very immature, has not grown up. And they may be very accomplished in life. They have many experiences, but the thing that they don't do, the thing that makes them immature, the thing that stops them from growing is admitting where they are wrong and turning from it. Because we can gain all the experience that we want in the world, but what if the experience we're gaining is wrong experience? What if all the mistakes that I've made for 15 years, what if I just kept doing them over and over and over and over and over again, and I didn't say, you know what, this conflict is wrong that I'm handling right now. I need to change my ways, turn and repent. Ah, that's where maturity happens. No merit, no skill, no talent, nothing makes you mature except for repentance, turning from it. How do I know this? So this, is, this is, we're going to get into this later on in the, in the Johannine Epistle series. But one of the things John talks about constantly, one of the things that Christ said as he sent a helper for us, he talks about the Spirit. And he talks about how the Spirit is the helper. Do you know how I know life is impossible, maturity is impossible without repentance? The Christian faith, can I encourage you as, a, again, uh, an older member of this church, Christianity is impossible. If you're getting a Christian, you're like, oh, it makes a lot of sense. It really helps me. It's really good. You've missed Christianity. Christianity is impossible. Faith is impossible. Do you know how I know that? Because you and I required supernatural presence of the Spirit to even do anything good. That's how I know it's impossible. That's how I know maturity is turning and repenting from our old ways that are in the flesh and taking on the new wineskins, as the gospel calls it, with the Spirit. If it was possible to mature without the Spirit, if it was based upon giftingness and merit, do you know who Christ would have chosen as his apostles? Pharisees, religious leaders. That's who we have chosen. Who did he choose? I don't think we understand the scandal of when Christ goes to the shore onto a boat of fishermen. I don't think we understand who these fishermen are, first and foremost. They're not, they're not the most highly regarded. They're not the most educated. And Christ says, you, come with me. And he says to them, I will make you fishers of men. Do you notice how he didn't do an open invitation, open call? He didn't say, hey, who wants to audition for the apostles? Hey, no one would show up. (laughs) Hey, come with me. We're going to go three years, no one liking us, traveling all around, and I don't know where food's going to come from. You want to come? I was like, no. (laughs) It's like an unpaid internship for two years. Like, this is not going to look good on my resume. I don't care what you do. I know it's impossible, and Christ would have chosen the talented, gifted people, but he chose people and said, I will make you fishers of men by the spirit that I will give you and by the way that you follow me in seasons. Here's how that happens. Here's when it happens, I should say. Uh, I have three children, and uh, they're here with us today, and so they can attest. You can talk to my boys about this afterwards. I have two two older boys and one girl. And how I parent my third one is totally different than the first two. How many third children we got out there today? I'm a third. Okay, we're the best. Um, we're fantastic. That's right. I forgot, Hannah. You and I, we're the third. We're glorious. How many of you are the oldest kid? And how many of you look at your parents, parent the third, and you're like, what are you doing? I would have been, I would have been grounded for two weeks, and the parent's like, ah, whatever. You're like, no, not whatever. I'm here to tell you that some of us are pregnant right now in the church, and some of us are expecting kids, and some of us want children. And each time somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, you've had three children, you, 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 you've done this, what advice would you give me? What book should I read? And I, of course, there are good resources out there. Do you know the best way to become a parent? Be a parent. That's it. You're like, well, thanks. You don't know what you don't know until you're solely responsible for another human life, and then You change. The best way to be a parent, be a parent. And you learn and you grow and you repent from the things you did before. And of course my parenting looks different at the third. Do you know why? Because it would say if my parenting was the same with the first and the third, that when I became a new parent, I was the perfect parent. I am not at all. Of course I have to change. Change is a representation. Turning and repenting is a showcase of humility, of maturity of growth. C.S. Lewis, it's a, it's a very C.S. Lewis heavy day, I apologize, has this book series, it's, it's the Space Trilogy. It's this fantastic series of books about this man who goes to space and encounters all different types of worlds. In the second of the series, he goes to a planet on which is essentially liquid everywhere. It's just sea upon sea upon sea. And the only place that he can sit, he can stand, he can be, is on this kind of floating seaweed-type spongy material. And the waves come and crash, and he can't get his footing, and he's being thrown around this giant raft that's huge and large, and he can't get his footing, and he's, he's constantly getting seasick. And so for a good couple of days, all he's is doing is he's just clinging to the bottom of it, waiting out the waves. And over time... Days and days and days. He learns to stand on the spongy material and he learns how to do it. He learns how to take the waves. And all of a sudden, he's kind of writing this sponge raft. See, maturity is just like that. Maturity is learning over and over and over. It's It's gaining the things that we didn't have before, turning and repenting and knowing what failed and knowing what works because we know what failed. And what fails is my own way. What fails is me trying to do things outside of God's will. That's what fails. Maturity takes practice. Maturity takes practice. So here's the best thing to do. Here's my pastoral. I'm I'm channeling John in totality here. And I'm going to get to this later. I'm going to end with the same thing I'm telling you ahead of time, and I'm going to get to the end of it later. I'm going to repeat myself. If you are currently not being discipled by someone... You are missing out. If you say, I don't, it's, it's me and Jesus in the Bible. That's all we need. I've seen that happen. It ends in heartache. I'm here to tell you. It ends with you leaving faith, abandoning faith, or having some really wonky beliefs about Jesus. Uh, in my sermons, I try to give you little breadcrumbs. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling back the curtain a little bit. I'll cite Tim Keller, or I'll cite uh, 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 Carson, or I'll cite C.S. Lewis. And he, in doing so, I am trying to communicate to you, this isn't Clint's thoughts. I'm following somebody else who came before me. And me, you're saying, well, that's easy. You can just go read somebody and copy it and, and do whatever. Do you know how hard it is to submit to the Bible's teaching and to the teaching that came before us by others? It's impossible. Do you know what we do really well? What John is speaking to a church in Asia Minor, do you know what they did really well? Invented new theology. They did that really well. Do you know how easy it is to invent new theology? It comes to us naturally. We have so much heresy because it's so easy to believe our own thoughts because our own thoughts are native to us. Do you know what's really hard? To take on the understanding of somebody else. If you're not being discipled by somebody... You are missing out. How do I know? Because John's telling it to the church. Here's the season. Here's the progression. Here's what to do. So here, exhortation right now. Well, we have kids in here, and I love it. We're discipling them right now. I came to faith sitting on very ugly red carpet at First Presbyterian Church of Roseville, and I wanted to be out in the, in the foyer, foyer, No one knows how to, North X, I don't know what to call it. If you grew up in church and had that weird building that was before the building, I just wanted to be out there hanging out. And all I did was sit under the teaching of a pastor that I had no clue what was going on, but I was receiving something time and time again. Are you being discipled? The same walk in the same direction for a very long time. Christian maturity is just that. For people that think maturity happens based upon the experience that you get, it just comes naturally. You need others to help encourage you and to tell you, I need to read commentaries and follow other people. In my pastoral life, I have three people that I've just decided to follow unequivocally. And I just say, I'm going to try to mimic them. I'm going to mimic them over and over and over until I know how to do it. And then I will start applying it locally in context. If you've ever played golf, or played baseball, or played football, or volleyball, if you've ever seen how the Marines train, or anything that takes a lot of incredible effort, you know that repetition is the key factor in all of that, don't you? Follow and mimic somebody else who's following and mimicking somebody else who's following and mimicking somebody else who followed and mimicked Christ. That's what John's saying to us. When does maturity happen? Long haul, same direction, long walk, being discipled. Next. After that, I want to talk about how it's being done. So that's when it happens. I want to talk about how maturity happens. I had a friend tell me once that the Christian faith maturity is much like being a scalpel. So we have a lot of... I I sat down with a lot of medical people uh, over the holiday week uh, and I said I love medical analogies, but I constantly get them wrong. Um, So don't at me with how wrong I am with the medical analogy, okay? I am not as smart as you, admittedly. This one I think I'm, I'm fairly confident in, however, so I say that ahead of time. My friend said a scalpel has three attributes. A scalpel is clean, is ready, and sharp. Sharp. To be a scalpel, to to be used in surgery, to help people get healthy, a scalpel must be clean, ready, and sharp. And I want to use that as my friend suggested to me and told me how to mature. A scalpel is clean. John repeats over and over and over again, you are forgiven by Christ. You are forgiven by Christ. You are forgiven by Christ. And here's what I want to start with is understanding of how you mature, how you gain understanding, how you Turn and repent and become a new thing. The first thing is to be clean. Now, many of us would like to say, I'm clean based upon the statements that I I say. Of course I'm clean. I'm a good person, and we self-declare it. I I do good things. I help out, and that's what makes me clean. I don't have a lot of time to go into this because we've been talking about it all the other weeks, and we will continuing, but that is a heresy of the church. If you think you're clean by your good works... It's the furthest thing from the gospel. Children, if you ever have people in your life tell you to be a good Christian means you do good things, they're wrong. And if your parents said that, I'm sorry, have them come talk to me. I apologize ahead of time, parents. That's on me. We do good works because we are named clean. A scalpel doesn't say, oh, yeah, doc, I'm ready. I'm clean. That doesn't do it. Conversely, a scalpel isn't clean because it's comparatively not as dirty as other scalpels. Well, I'm cleaner than scalpel next to me. Don't we do that as people? We compare our merit. We say, I know, hey, look, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not that sinful. Here, let me play this game. Think of the most sinful person you know. Whatever came into your head right there, that's who you compare yourself to. Say, well, at least I'm not that person. What we should say is, I'm the most sinful person I know because I know everything that happens in my head and heart. The scalpel is not declared clean because it compares itself to other people and says, at least I'm not that. What's the only way a scalpel is cleaned? If the doctor takes it and disinfects it. If it takes it and it cleans it. If it takes it and by the work of the doctor, the work of the surgeon, the work of the medical staff, it is cleaned. Church, how do you mature? Here's the first thing. Here's what John tells us. You cannot make yourself clean, so stop trying. How are you clean? Because you're forgiven by Christ. The next thing, be ready. It says in this snippet here that John gives out, he says, you knew his name from the beginning. You knew his name from the beginning. Now, I I don't have, again, I I wish I had more time. I don't have a ton of time to go into the name of Christ and the name of God. But here's what I want to get to. There is a difference between you knowing of God and you knowing God, isn't there? If you're kicking the tires on faith, if you don't understand faith, if you're saying to yourself "Ah oh, this jesus guy he he's okay I, I I know some things about him. I know he asks us to be good and perform good works and all that jazz. That's knowing of God, but do you know God uh, in the ocean's Twelve movie? Uh, the main character, George Clooney, is arrested and he's thrown in jail and uh, a secondary character, Matt Damon has to try to pull off this heist in Oceans 12 without him. George Clooney is the leader, and he's thrown in jail, and they don't know what to do. And so Matt Damon comes up with an idea, but it, it requires George Clooney's wife, played by Julia Roberts. So he calls Julia Roberts up, and he says, Hey, Danny, who's George Clooney's character, says, Danny would love to talk to you right now, but he can't. This, this phase of the plan, Danny can't talk to you. But he really needs you to fly out to Europe with us and perform this task. Julia Roberts goes, wait, what? What, is, what does my husband want? He wants you to fly out. Why isn't he asking me this? Oh, he's, he's, he's in darkness. He's, he's hidden in this phase. So Julia Roberts gets on a plane. She goes out to Europe, and she hops in the car, and the very first thing she says, she gets in, and she goes, how long has Danny been in jail? And Matt Damon goes, what? <sighs> the jig is up. See, she knew that she knew that she knew. I know my husband. He would never have that be the place. He would never have you call me. He would never say these things to you. He would call me himself, and he didn't call me. He's in trouble, and I know he's in jail. I know what's going on. See, she knew her husband so intimately. She knew what his voice was and what his voice was not. Do you know Christ's voice so well that you can spot things that aren't him in an instant? To know him is one thing. To know of him. Many people know of God. Not many people know him. It says in scripture, on that day, many will look to me and say, Lord, Lord, we healed in your name. We cast out demons. And he'll say, who are you again? That's knowing of God. But do you know God? Here's maybe another way to put it. Uh, There's this fun little understanding. I'm on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram. And I'm barely on Twitter. Uh, because I actually have a, a secondary thing that I'm on, so it's not even my name, and I just, I just stalk people. It's very weird. And I, I don't participate that much, but I, I see this trend. And this trend that comes up is this, if you were kidnapped, give out one tweet that would let us know you're in distress. Uh, mine would be something along the lines of, Florida is the best football team in the, progr- in the nation. If I ever tweet good things about Florida, if I ever say that, Call the FBI. I'm in danger. Now, you would know that if you knew me. If you didn't know me, you'd be like, okay, cool. I don't know why he's talking about football yet again. It's World Cup time, Pastor. (laughs) If I ever tweet out, man, what an awesome game Saturday of match, I don't know, people kicking things around, I'm in danger. I did watch America, by the way. I watched this, our match. I was very happy with the draw. Can you spot people who are in distress in their life because they say things that aren't in line with Christ because you know him so well? That's what it means to be ready, that when Christ calls, you know his voice, and you can jump on it in an instant. And lastly, to remain sharp. It says you've overcome the evil one with the word. You're strong in the Word, John says. What does that mean? I'm going to try to make this point again. In subsequent sermons, we'll extrapolate this a little bit more. The Bible is not something that you get insight into. The Bible is something you submit to, period. Do you know why? Do you know how I know I have friends in my life? Do you know how I know I have loved ones in my life? Because everything I say isn't just taken as status quo. I know people love me in my life because they come against me. Because how easy it is just to agree with people in life. Uh, If you know anything about the Enneagram, no, I don't want to fight about its origins. There's this number, it's called the Peacemaker. Uh, We are a church full of peacemakers, by the way. All y'all are nines, just unequivocally. So I know I'm speaking to the right community when I say this. We like getting along with people because it's just easier. Do you know how I know Jesus is? And peacemakers are great, by the way. You know this because you're all them. Peacemakers are fantastic. Do you know how Christ made peace with us? By being cut, by having the spear jabbed into his side, the nails crushed between bone. He bled out, he was cut. The scalpel cut him. How do you remain sharp? It is not thinking of new, inventive, creative ways. We live in a society in which creatives are cherished, don't we? And creatives are great. I I love creatives. I was just having a conversation before service about new music. I love any new music that's done well. Because creativity is fantastic. Not with the Bible. Do you know why it's not great? Because if you have a God... That when you go to the Bible, it doesn't cut you. You read God's word and you say, yes, I agree with everything in here. Yes, I agree with everything in here. You're not being discipled or matured. If you go to the Bible and it affirms everything that you think, you're not reading the Bible well. Because you know what the Bible does? Oh, church, it cuts us. It says, die to yourself. Serve instead of being served. Give instead of taking. Admit you are wrong and turn and repent. That cuts us, and it should cut us. If you have a God in which he and his scriptures affirms every single thing you think, you don't have a God, you have a corgi, and all that corgi wants to do is make you laugh and smile. You have a a pet. You have a dog for a God. Instead, if you go to scripture and say, oh, God... This cuts me. Ah, now you're dealing with a, with a being that is far above you in totality, looks nothing like you, can't even be close to you. How do you know that you have a God? Because his word is sharp and cuts you. And you yourself need to be sharp, as John says, be in these seasons by submitting to Scripture, not reinterpreting it. Here's my application for you, and here's the. I'm going to give you, I'm going to rattle these off as quickly as I can. One, Pastor Abe last week talked about effort, not perfection. He said, The Bible asks for effort, not perfection. Here's my encouragement to you. I know Pastor Abe has this uh, conviction. I have this conviction. The staff has this conviction. The elders in training have this conviction. If you're not being discipled by somebody, I beg you, get discipled. This world and this faith is impossible without it. Get in community group. Follow and mimic people. Find those who have gone before you, preferably who are older, <laughs> who, have, who have the understanding of when to hear God's voice and when not to hear God's voice. Be discipled. Mimic them. Secondly, change your understanding of repentance from saying, I'm sorry, to this thing I'm doing is wrong. I'm going to do the opposite. Change your understanding of repentance from I must admit when I am wrong, and I do so willingly. That shows maturity. Third, if something hasn't been taught in church for thousands of years, for hundreds of years, look on it skeptically, please. If you hear something in the church that's new, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, look on it skeptically. How do I know that? Here's a Again, we just had Thanksgiving. How many of us have grandparents that believe one thing, and you're like, and they still hold that belief? Uh, my favorite football player when I was growing up was Jerry Rice. He's black. I had family members that said, why would you ever think your favorite football player could be black? To my face. Do you know how popular of an opinion that was 50, 60 years ago? Very. How popular is it today? And we say, yes, progress has gotten us there. No, progress hasn't gotten us there. Regression got us to racism. We regress to our sinful state. And progression didn't save us, but rather it was men like Martin Luther King Jr. speaking about Christ and his intrinsic value of all people. Could you imagine 20 years from now if you held the same beliefs you do today? If you were the same person 20 years from now as you are today, what would people think of you? Have you matured? Have you grown? You're stagnant. The only way to change to repent is to to turn. Fourth, find fidelity to the scriptures more beautiful than creating new scripture. In church, I wish I had more time to talk about this. And if you have questions, please come ask me. And if you were seeking Christ, please come talk to me afterwards. I have all the time in the world to talk about these things. But if you hold creating scripture above or reinterpreting scripture above fidelity to scripture? Please, I, I just warn you. That's what John warns the church. Lastly, here's a very practical thing. At lunch today, find somebody who's older than you. There's like seven of us. And ask this question. <laughs> what is one thing you learned over the long haul that you would want others to know? What's one thing you know about faith over the long haul that you would want others to know and listen to them? And lastly, here's my last encouragement, wake up tomorrow and say, Father, thank you that I did not make myself clean, but your son did. If you started each day with understanding you don't make yourself clean, but Christ made you clean by his forgiveness, things would change. Let's pray that right now. Father, Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.live. God bless and have a great week.